Hi, my name is Jennifer Walker, and welcome to the Moms on Call podcast. Laura and I created this podcast to share our years of experience with newborns, babies, and toddlers with even more people just like you. Maybe you've read our books, seen our videos, or even met with one of our consultants. Now you can hear us too. Thank you to our sponsors, Brushies and Bobby. Because of them, we can make this show available to you for free. And today we're going to answer your questions like always. This week, shifting the moms on call schedules to accommodate work hours, transitioning to a big kid bed, and concerns about beatings being too close together. We also talk about our own experiences as moms of preemies. We both had preemies, four pounds and some change a piece, and Laura's were even smaller. So we look forward to sharing those experiences with you, and we'll talk about many of the challenges that preemie parents face. And we know you're busy, and for that reason, we always want to teach you something in the first five minutes of every episode, in case life pulls you away from us. Today, don't be scared of solid foods. Solids can be so much fun. Mom, Dad, get ready for the fun and welcome to the Moms on Call podcast. Solid foods do not have to be scary. That just tends to be one of those things that we all wonder, well, when do we start? How do we know when the right time to start? Are we giving them enough? There's so many questions around solid foods. But really, it's so much fun. Get out the camera, like you are going to have the best time figuring this out together. One of the things we recommend is putting a little bouncy seat on the floor and putting them in that for those first few times so you guys are comfortable and you you can just enjoy what this looks like and explore it together. But Laura, talk a little bit about in this first five, what information can you give us about when to know if your child is ready for this transition? Well, it isn't a date on the calendar, Jennifer. It's, you know, when that little one has really good head control, they're sitting with minimal support. They're reaching and wanting your food. Those are great things to look for as time to start. And oral motor development really is, it's progressive. So we always like to start off with some thin purees Then we move gradually to those thicker purees, then fork mushable, and eventually we'll get to finger mushable. And you know what? We'll have them eating strips and chunks before you guys know it. And we do want you guys to have fun. But the other big thing, Jennifer, is amounts. Why do we get so hung up on how much of those solids that we're eating? Well, we say this a hundred times over, and so we want to give you freedom in this statement. Babies get 100% of their nutritional needs met through breast milk and or formula for the first year of life. And do you know what that means? Amounts don't matter. One day they may take two bites. One day they may take 20. It's just this really great opportunity to get them used to different tastes and textures and be free to do that without these looming expectations of amounts. And it's so hard as a mom, you want an idea of how much is typical. So we do include that in all of our resources and have free resources for you in how to start baby foods 
And so you can, you know, hop over to Moms on Call and print that out and look at it. It looks like a little calendar that just walks you through it. Um, But one of the biggest things we want you to know is to have a great time. This is a normal part of growth and development. And at Moms on Call, we hope that we have done everything we possibly can to answer your questions, make it easier, and help you to enjoy and look forward to the introduction of solid foods. Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the Moms on Call. They have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best-selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants. And now they're sharing their experiences as nurses, business owners, and moms with you, completely unfiltered. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter. Well, today we are talking all about preemies because we've both brought preemies home. We've had those little ones arrive way before they were supposed to. Yeah, mine were twins. They were born a little after uh, 36 weeks. And um, I remember because we worked at the pediatrician's office and I remember one of the first things that we do is we weigh the baby. And so, you know, you weigh all varieties of babies as a pediatric nurse. And I just remember my first son, nine pounds, six ounce son, I would go to work and I'd be like, man, all these babies are so tiny because, you know, the one I had at home looked like he ate another baby. I mean, he was so big. (laughs) And then when the twins came and they were each four pounds and some change, I would go to work and I would be like, all these babies are huge. So there's just this comparative perspective and people make comments and, you know, when they come out little and they're not quite as chubby, they look a little skeletal and um, beautiful and you love them just as much. But uh, yeah, but it's a challenge. It is. It's tough. So my my twins were right under 32 weekers and they were 314 and 48. I can remember thinking, okay, well, one, I was in and out of preterm labor from 24 weeks on and just really, you know, praying that these boys would stay in as long as possible. And so then when they get here and, you know, the the flurry in that room, right, you've got 20 people that are there and ready to to help and, and get these babies safe and, and do what needs to be done. And then Brent, a uh, little handsome kid number five, was he was six weeks early. So he was, uh, but he was a big six week early baby. He was, I want to say somewhere right under seven pounds at, at 34 <laughs> weeks. Oh. So he was humongous. He was the biggest baby in the NICU, you know. Um, and, <laughs> and when these little ones, I think that, you know, as we walk through our pregnancies and we're making the nursery and we're doing the doctor's visits and we're preparing and, you know, I think sometimes when they come early like that, you don't have time to process a lot of that. And it's not Mm -hmm. until a few weeks into it, right, that you're like, oh my gosh, these babies are here already. And and how do you navigate a world that was made for full-term babies? I mean, there's not a ton of information. clothing size. Yeah. Um, There's so many challenges with it. And I think you you really... 
touched on one thing. Oftentimes when you have pre-meets, like I had one that went to the NICU and one that didn't. And there was a situation. I had twins and I may go home with oh. one and have to wait for the other. Um, you know, two kids in two different locations that I may want to try and feed. You know, we were trying to breastfeed at that time and they were redoing the hospital. The NICU seemed like it was in a different it, zip code. It was in a different zip code. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mine came by C-section. It's not easy to get up out of that bed. It was so painful that I try and feed one baby, then get up, have a nurse walk with me to the different zip code to see the baby in the NICU. There's machines and people and buttons and learning and, and really you just want to make sure that they can eat. So you have to feed them every two to three hours around the clock. And maybe you just had surgery, you know, so you're exhausted, but thrilled. Uh, So much of the adrenaline, like really, you know, drives your abilities at that time. But, you know, there's just so many challenges and, you know, we don't want to scare anybody. We got through all those. We had all the helpers that we needed. I was able to take both babies home. Thank goodness. I was a pediatric nurse. So that that helped. And they discharged, um, one of my babies right out of the NICU, which rarely happens. Usually they go from the NICU then they get transferred to the floor and then they're on the floor. Um, and by floor, I mean like whatever floor you're on at the hospital, (laughs) the floor of, you know, not the carpet. And, um, if they can stand that for about a day, then you get to take them home. And when you get them home, they're so little and everybody's afraid they're going to break them because they're tiny. Almost nobody buys preemie clothes. Nothing fits. They're all arms and legs, it seems like, you know, or at least mine were. And, you know, and Little chicken legs. I think, you know, one of the things is it's hard to even know how old they are. I mean, you know, you can't even remember your name. And the doctor's talking about adjusted age versus actual age. And, well, they're not really completely adjusted because they're acting more like this. And, oh, they're, wait. And there's so many things that can contribute to where they are age-wise. You know, if you've got a 30-weeker, a baby born at 30 weeks, that's going to be a lot different than a baby born at 36 weeks. And I think the confusion around that just, it it just causes so, so much stress. And that's really where we always say, look, right off the bat, if your baby was like born under 34 weeks, get connected with a consultant that can really walk with you and know exactly the weights and when they were born and where they're meeting, you know, what developmental milestones and whether or not the ounces are where they need to be. I mean, that's really personal. Yes. If they're about 34 weeks or older, we tried to figure that out because most of those babies, in the absence of severe medical issues, they can actually mm-hmm. head over to our one of our newest resources for free and download that preemie progression. Preemie progression cheat sheet. It's hard to say, but that's when we did the calculations for you because parenting shouldn't come with this much math. You just had a baby or two babies or three babies. They're tiny. They might be, you know, three or four pounds and some change. You have all kinds of instructions. You're trying to manage. You're trying to find clothes that fit. Should you have to do the math? Our answer was no. Let's just make a chart for that. You can pick the chart 
and know like what mom's on call schedule you can start and when, and you know, how to progress up through, you know, those first routines. So you got to feed them every two to three hours. We've talked about this. It's really just a matter of bulking them up right there in the beginning. But the one thing that happens all the time, and we get this question so much, and I, if you could see a picture of my twins at like six or seven months old, literally, if you stuck a pin in them, it looked like they would (laughs) pop. Like they were just as chubby as the day is long. And this is why, because nobody tells you when to stop being so focused on making sure that they eat and eat and eat and eat. It's like the setting that gets turned on, you know, set right when you take them home and you're not sure when to turn it right. off. And that's, you know, like, okay, now we can okay. breathe and these kids are gaining enough. Right. Food. And I think that that is a huge piece that's missing. And for my personal clients, it is typically, you know, and of course, again, these are with those babies that really had no medical issues. They were just early need it some time to feed and grow. But typically by their due date, you can start to breathe a little bit. And what we found, again, overall, is that usually that 50% grace period, if they were, you know, four weeks early, give them about two weeks, give them some grace there. And you can usually get them kind of caught up. And definitely by six months of age, you're really not treating them a whole lot differently at that point. Yeah. And the other thing too, is the amount of doctor visits that you have to have. Oh my gosh. Right. I can't even, it's I mean, between the eye doctor, cause you know, mine were 32 mm-hmm. weekers, you know, just under 32 weeks. So, you know, the eye doctors and the RSV shots that they mm-hmm. had to get and then regular weight checks and, you know, cause they were only in the hospital about 10 days. So, uh, I did bring, Blake home first, and then Patrick came home uh, 48 hours later. Um, But those weight checks and having to do those, you know, seem like every day it wasn't, but it does seem that way. Um, It's exhausting. And did anybody have to come home on light? No, we were so lucky. Well, mainly because they were in the hospital for 10 days. So they were able to kind of get through that. And man, what? Have you seen the way some of these lights are done? I mean, now there's blankets and makes it so much easier. Because I remember back in the day when you had to lay them naked underneath those lights. And oh my gosh, they were miserable. It was not well, even much before fun. then. It was a window. Oh, that window. Like a long time ago, they were like, you got to put this kid under the window. Why? Because the light helps their bodies to break down, um, you know, the bilirubin, get that out in their poop. And so that's another thing that you have to watch and calculate when you have preemies. It's like, how much poop did they have? How frequently did they have it? What color was it? What color are they? Were they jaundiced? That's a yellow, yellowish color, you know, where the bilirubin's kind of, you know, built up a little bit. And that's mostly the first three days of life um, that we see that, you know, we're really watching that. And they may have to have what we call billy lights. Billy lights. That's the thing. And that just helps them break down stuff so that they can, you know, get it out of their system and just kind of, you know, make it past that threshold. Three or four days, we're usually out of the woods with that. But if you do have to do billy lights, guess who? Sometimes a nurse will come to your house, but you have to take the blood work and they take that out of their feet. Yes. 
Yes. They prick their heels for that. Do. And but the great news is is that they there is some great services nowadays that can come and take care of all oh, of that at yeah. your house. And we would have to orchestrate that even back then. And you know, and I think once the lights are done and once they're starting to eat and they're really kind of gaining that weight is when I think you start to breathe a little bit. We talked about breathing and you know, I can remember getting to the boys' due date, the twins, and thinking, oh my gosh, okay, now we're in a rhythm a little bit. They're sleeping those longer stretches. We could let them, you know, move to those on-demand feedings at night. And and I started to feel like I was getting my feet up underneath. It was just something about that due date. Well, I just, I remember when my first son woke up alive on his second birthday. I was just like, yay, you know, worry about so many things. We do. Um, But that is a huge transition. And, um, you know, the the preemies, they come, they look like kind of shriveled up little old guys. Mine did at first, you know, they don't have a lot of fat on them yet. So a lot of times the schedule, the amount of, you know, visits and instructions and feedings daunting you know you have to do it just is so exhausting and then you finally just get to that place where you get to enjoy how sweet they are and breastfeeding i found breastfeeding a nine pound six ounce baby um you know i was not ready for that like that kid was hungry (laughs) it hurt so bad but breastfeeding preemies because you know they didn't they didn't suck as hard. I would breastfeed one, bottle feed the other, and then switch the next feeding as much as I could keep track and remember. Then my husband was awesome. He um, put them in two bouncy seats and bottle feed them both for a feeding at night so that you I could, could rest. rest. Yeah, and um, and it was the sweetest time. He still talks about how sweet that is. It just helped to fortify him as a father. So you know, even that natural guilt that, you know, you feel as a mom, like it's my job to feed. So I've got to feed, you know, no matter what, you know, letting me have that sleep and giving him the gift of being that provider in those wee hours. That was, you know, just a incredible part of his parenting journey, but also, you know, getting that break and, you know, and being able to breastfeed easier. Like the, I could breast, I did that till they were about six months old because we could both ease into it. Right. <laughs> and I, that is huge. That's a huge. Feeding is such a, it, it's such a hot topic, even with full-term babies. But when you have preemies, mm-hmm. there is a learning curve there. And and whether you're nursing, it's trying to make sure that we don't wear them out because, you know, we want them to try and retain as many calories as we can. And, you know, but making sure that the latch is on and making sure that the, and then when you're doing bottle feedings, You're trying to make sure you have the right nipple, one that's going to kind of hit that roof of the mouth so that they'll really start to suck. And you want... And we have our favorites. We do have our favorites. let's just talk about that because you're listening to this podcast. So we have to tell you thousands of babies later, not just kind of what worked for us in our situation with our four. Right. But it was, it's that old fashioned, those old fashioned, longer shaped nipples um, really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. And what I found with, with the latex type nipples, especially with those Mm -hmm. preemies and and anybody that is on bed rest right now or, or is at the hospital or just had a, a little preemie, one of the best nipples are those disposable nipples that you can get from 
the hospital um, just for those first few weeks. Grab some of those because of the material. It will help that tongue stick to that material and help that tongue wrap around. And then after that, we we love the Nook First Essentials. It is just proven over and over and over again to hit that palate right in the right place and get that tongue kind of wrapped around so that they can eat so much better yeah. with those. Well, and how many consults have we been on of babies of all ages oh. and they're having horrible feeding yeah. problems? And I mean, it makes us look great because yeah. we can fix that feeding problem with one bottle change. Yeah. And it's not to say that every single no. baby in every situation is going to do it. But I am telling you, we have seen that happen so many times. They don't pay us to say this. We went out and found it and we talked to the manufacturers yeah. because we wanted to make sure that this was still available yeah. for people because we saw the success of it, but just the enormous amount of times that, you know, that it that worked. change. Yeah, that some, it worked. Yeah. And, it, and it worked. Feeding it worked so often that if you guys are struggling with feeding issues, it is worth a shot. We're not guaranteeing mm -hmm. it. We're not saying for 100%, but that's the place to start. Start yeah, there. Give them change a feeding the or nipple. two to get used to yes. it. Yeah. Change yeah. that nipple and and watch the positioning of feeding. I think whether you're nursing, the position that they're laying across and, and hooking up to those breasts is huge, as well as when you're feeding those bottles. Trying to feed sitting up helps so much. So just make sure that you're paying attention to those things. And if you're having issues, reach out. Get a consultant that will dive in with you and your family because you know what? It is exhausting and it is hard and there's so much information to weed through. But with Moms on Call, we'll walk with you through it. The two of us yeah. have been there with our own kids. And so you guys with those little preemies, make sure to Your go. Heroic efforts. Heroic <laughs> efforts for sure. Mm -hmm. Go and print off that preemie progression cheat sheet. Again, it's a free resource in the Knowledge Center at MomsOnCall.com. And reach out to us. Because we've been there. Yeah. And we want to provide for you every way, whether it's relational, whether it's calculations that we can do um, to help you to make it simple and easy to access the information that you need so that you have more time to love the sweet and amazing thing that even the littlest of little babies can bring and give you that confidence. Laura and I both hope that you know that we think you are not only the heroes of these kids, but you're our heroes too. Did you know that Bobby is the only U.S. infant formula company founded and led by moms? Their formula is made in Vermont, and their ingredients are purposefully sourced from their milk at Organic Valley Farms to their water-extracted DHA. And you can actually read and understand their labels. Their recipe is modeled after EU nutritional guidelines while also meeting all FDA requirements for infant formula. It is designed for brain development, to be gentle on tummies, and for healthy immunity in babies, all led by a team of pediatricians, lactation consultants, pediatric nutritionists, and food scientists. Bobby is also the only U.S. formula with 20 milligrams of DHA, which is the European standard in infant formula. Thank you, Bobby, for sponsoring this episode of the Moms on Call podcast. 
We are so excited to share that Bobby is offering 25% off your first box of Bobby. If you want to see if it's a good fit for you and your family, use code MOMSONCALL25 at HiBobby.com. Have you ever asked yourself, can helping my toddler brush their teeth get any easier? Like, is there any way to make this process easier and not a battle? Well, our friends at Brushies have heard your cries and they have come up with a couple of really great things. Number one, a book where you can actually read before bed about brushing the teeth. And they've made it into this incredible story, but also um, a little apparatus that goes over your finger that instills these really great oral care habits easily and it's fun. So these are all the things that you want in a toothbrushing experience when you're a parent. So we just want to thank the makers of Brushies for thinking about the ways to make toothbrushing easier for us and our kids. When you become a parent for the first time or for the 10th time, you are going to encounter a lot of unique situations. And sometimes you just want another set of ears to hear your issue and offer you some advice. Jennifer and I are happy to be those ears for you. Leave us a message at 888-234-7979 or send us a message on Instagram. You can follow us there at Moms on Call. And we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can during the Moms on Call podcast. Hi, my name is Avery from Nashville, Tennessee. I've really been enjoying listening to the podcast as I feed my 10-week-old little girl. Um, We are quickly approaching our first uh, weeks of daycare as I go back to work. Uh, I know you covered this in the podcast a little bit, but I'm curious on y'all's advice on shifting the recommended schedule, perhaps by an hour or so in order to get ready for work in the morning. Right now, my little one is waking up at about 5.30, and um, that's great. She goes back to sleep after we do that feeding, but I can't and also uh, get her ready for work in time. So I'd love it if maybe we added a dream feed or even shifted so I could get her to actually sleep until 6.30. It would work much better for um, for our household um, in the way that we're having to accomplish getting her to daycare. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that and enjoying uh, everything so far. Thanks. Bye. Well, Avery, the great news is over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting that little one to sleep right up until about 6.30 or 7 a.m. So there is no need to shift the routine a whole hour either way. If you're looking for a get-up time of about 6.30, that will work perfectly because you do have that lead way of shifting 30 minutes without causing any issues whatsoever. You mentioned a dream feed. And dream feeds don't result in longer stretches and definitely won't help get her longer in the morning. This is just part of being 10 weeks old. They tend to wake at about 5, 5.30, but we will get closer and closer to that 6.30 wake-up time over the next week or two. Hi, moms. My name is Ashley, and I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. I have twins who will be turning two years old here in a couple of months. And I'm also expecting another baby a few months after that. So we are 
planning to transition them to big kid beds uh, sometime around their second birthday because we need one of those cribs for our new baby. They still sleep in a crib with nothing, just the crib sheet. And I'm wondering how they're going to respond mainly to a big bed when you have the comforter and sheets and pillow and it's that whole new experience. Would it be easier on them to kind of ease them in, maybe start giving them a blanket and pillow in the crib in the weeks leading up to that transition? Or would it be best to just throw it all at them at once and say, here you go, here's your new sleep situation. You're going to be great at it. I'm just curious about that and any other insight you have on that transition. Thanks so much. Love the podcast and love all your books and everything you offer. Bye. Ashley, you are in such good hands because both Laura and I have transitioned a set of twins out of cribs and into big kid beds. And I love one of the questions that you asked. What would be easier if we do this transition? Would it be easier to kind of ease them into it? Or would it be easier to kind of do a cold turkey option? And cold turkey, answer, cold turkey. <laughs> the answer is what, Laura? Cold turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that cheer? We're both cheering for you. That's cold it. turkey. Every new thing that we do, everything they adjust to takes about three to five days. So actually, if we combine those all into one transition, then it's only three to five days, not three to five days for every transition. And also pillows and blankets inside a crib environment are more dangerous. So we are going to follow the guidelines. You love the books. So I believe that you have that toddler book. And in there, we have a section, just like all the other stuff, checklist style on how to make that transition. Do it cold turkey. Believe in what your kids are capable of doing. They are actually going to love this new area to explore. So we really want to have in our minds that our kids have the ability to make this adjustment and may actually be quite excited about it. Now, when you have two in the same room, you have an instigator. (laughs) So they are going to wear each other out a little bit and have greater access to each other. So we want to make sure that the room is safe, safer than even when you have one child, because now you have the instigator in there with them. And we want to make sure that you have, um, you know, everything set up for safety and follow the guidelines. We're going to close that door and lock it where the crib limited access to the room. Now the room is going to limit access to the house. So we're going to make it safe. And if we do this in a way that they don't know there's another option, you're not coming back in and out trying to quote unquote, convince them to settle down and fall asleep. And all they know is that the change happens. It happens all at once. We kind of spring it on them and tell them how we believe in them follow the checklist in the mom's on call toddler book. And even the online class, we talk about it. If you want to hear us cheering you on, you can do that there. And they are going to have so much fun. They're going to explore it. So don't have high expectations for those first three to five nights. They're really going to kind of explore this, the newness of everything And they're going to try and get you back in there just to see if they can. So stay strong, follow the principles, and you are going to absolutely get to watch them show you what they are capable of adjusting to. Hi, this is Christine. Um, I love your book. It's helped us so much. Uh, I have a question. Um, So my baby is seven weeks old, and 
he's doing great. Um, he's sleeping at nine to about five, five in the morning. And I wanted to know how we go about the day when he wakes up at five, knowing that we would feed him at five and then he would have another um, feeding at seven. And it just seems so close. Um, I don't know how we can adjust the schedule where he would take a good feeding at seven or if he doesn't need to, because the stretch from, let's say, like five to nine is quite long. So I'd love to, to get your advice on that. Thank you. Hey, Christine. First off, since we're seven weeks of age, go ahead and get over to the eight to 16 week routine. That might mean a few nights where he's eating once or twice in the middle of the night more than what he's been doing, but give him a few nights to kind of get used to that. And then once he is getting up at, say, that 5 a.m. mark again, and that typically happens after two or three nights once you make that transition, then you can feed half the amount but then up and at him with intention at 7 a.m. And after a few days, you'll notice that he's sleeping those nice long stretches and getting closer and closer to 6.30 or 7 for that first feed. And if you're looking for some of the schedules that we talk about here on this podcast, they are available at the Moms on Call Scheduler app where you can print them out and put them on the refrigerator or have them on your iPhone and We also have them listed in the book and PDFs in the online class. Hi, my name is Jasmine. I'm from Jacksonville, Illinois. I have two twin girls. They're 13 weeks, but they were born at 35 weeks, so um, they have their adjusted age. I've been doing your mom's on-call schedule with typical days, and that's working well. Besides, they're at daycare now. She feeds them the seven... 10, 1, and 4 schedule. When they come home at 5.30, they act like they're hungry, even though they just ate. So usually I'll give in and feed them again, and then I feed them right before they go to bed. On a good note, they're sleeping 7 hours straight at night, but they're still waking up around 3 to 4 a.m. for that feeding. Any advice would be very helpful on how to get these girls on a good schedule with daycare. Thanks. Jasmine, first of all, you are doing a magnificent job. This is not easy to get them when they, you know, are born so early and to do these feedings and to get to this point. So we just want to tell you that you are doing a fantastic thing and we're going to get you to that finish line. So there is coming a time where both of those beautiful baby girls are going to sleep all night. So we want to make sure, I know that it's so tempting at that 5.30 in the evening to to kind of give them that snack feed. The issue is it tends to keep them from taking those nice full feeds at bedtime. So let's try a couple of other things before we jump to feeding. When you get home, let's use some distraction. We'll do some tummy time. Maybe we'll go for a walk around the neighborhood. Maybe they'll sit in the bouncy seats while we're getting dinner ready. But let's try some other things as distraction, knowing what is normal at this point in the day. They're really supposed to be fussy as they get out some of that energy right before those long stretches of sleep at night. And part of that energy helps them to sleep. So being able to meet that next developmental milestone by giving them tummy time um, when they're fussy in the evening, that's all really helpful. So it's a good perspective to have 
that whereas, you know, the feeding oftentimes kind of settles them down a little bit, we really actually want them to have some of that activity. And right now, you know, fussing is almost all they've got as they can't take a jog around the block quite yet, but we're going to get there. And you can always start their bath you know, a little bit earlier. So you could do bath time starting as early as 6.15, 6.30, then beginning that bedtime feeding as early as 6.45 or so. We are always taking your messages at 888-234-7979. You can also find us on Instagram. We are Moms on Call there. If we didn't get to your question, you might be able to find the answers on our website, momsoncall.com. We like to end every episode of the podcast with something that's going to put a big smile on your face. We call it the good stuff. Okay, so we have over in Buford, Georgia, we have little baby Emma. She's a toddler and she is adorable. And Paola Taran walked into the family kitchen and spotted her daughter dancing And oh my gosh, we're so thankful she was because Emma's dad was right there next to her. So he's dancing and she's dancing and smiling and laughing. And it was the sweetest thing ever. So she's in her little Minnie Mouse pajamas and she's spending some time with dad. But the biggest thing, and I thought it was so, so sweet. So Paola, mom, she wrote when she uploaded the video and she was sharing it with people. And she said, I'm a hashtag princess, not because I have a prince, but because my father is a king. And so that's how she was describing for her daughter, dad. And I think it just shows this video and everybody just needs to go and watch this dad salsa dancing with little Emma. But it is the cutest thing. And I really think it shows, one, how fun dads are, right? But two, that connection between a father and his daughter is priceless. And if you're a dad and you're having trouble figuring out how to connect, you know, you're like, I don't know, I don't have a degree in preschool education, Um, you know, do the things that you love. Invite your kids into the things you already love. It may be music. It may be yard work. They just love to be a part. And certainly if it's dancing of any variety, silly or otherwise, we would love to get a chance to see that happening and hashtag it ourselves. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. Please visit momsoncall.com for more resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive this amazing parenting journey. Thank you so much for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. You've given us 30 minutes of your time, and hopefully we have given you some knowledge, maybe put a smile on your face, maybe even brought a tear to your eye. It would help us out a lot if you told everyone you knew who could benefit from this show about us. That's the number one way that people discover new podcasts, word of mouth. And there is nothing more true about the Moms on Call community than word of mouth. 
It would also be helpful if you made sure that you're subscribed to the show. We appreciate you and we're glad you're here with us.